Well, if not, we are so blessed this morning to have Brother David, and he's going to come and preach for us this morning. Let's give him a big round of applause again. Well, thank you, Brother Paul, for allowing me to, to speak this morning. You know, guys, Brother Paul, he's, he's pretty smart. So he, uh, he has me preaching here at Bethlehem this morning. Higher call is over at Gamel, so he gets the day off. He, he, he planned that well. He's a little sneaky. But, uh, you know, I think it's actually an appropriate way to finish out uh, Pastor Appreciation Month. You, you guys may or may not know October every year is National Pastor Appreciation Month. So I think it's appropriate to let him have the day off. What do you, what do you guys think? If you guys appreciate our pastor, let's just, let's just let him know this morning. Thank you for all you do, Brother Paul. We love you. Um, <laughs> so don't, have, don't have to pay him this week. That's, that's what... You heard the chairman of the board, Brother Paul. That's what he, that's what he said. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad to be speaking here this morning. This is actually the, the second year in a row I've got to, to preach on, on Reformation Sunday. Uh, yesterday was, I know some of y'all say it was Halloween. Yesterday was Reformation Day um, as we celebrate the 503rd anniversary of Martin Luther nailing the 95 Theses on the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. For me, Reformation Day is right up there with, with Christmas and Easter because without, without the Reformation, we wouldn't be sitting here today. We wouldn't be reading our own Bibles today because we wouldn't have them. Um, so Refor- Reformation is, is a huge, huge issue. But I also can't help but think this morning about the fact, is, as a couple of us have mentioned this morning, we've got a major election on Tuesday here in this country. And so much is at stake. We're at tumultuous times. And I promise I'm not going to preach about politics this morning. I promise you. But I can't help but wonder... What our country would look like, what these United States would look like if Christians would just go out and do what we're called to do. Amen. We're not just focusing on one specific passage of Scripture this morning, but if I had to choose a specific passage, it would be Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen through 20. If you will, please just stand for a moment as we read God's Word. Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, it says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you this morning for all that you've done for us, for allowing us to be here. And as as Brother Paul said, uh, for blessing our church and keeping us healthy during this time, Father. We pray for our country, Lord, and the election that's coming up Tuesday, Lord, that your hand will be done and that our country will turn back to you, Father, Lord. I pray that as I speak this morning, you'll give me the words to say and that your spirit will shine through. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, So a lot of you know that I I work with a group of guys on on Wednesday nights uh, called Christian Service Brigade. It's uh, middle and high school boys. Um, We do crazy things like go on, on camping trips uh, in, in some pretty, pretty interesting places. In fact, we're going on one in a few weeks uh, down in North Carolina to a place called the Linville Gorge and the Chimneys. Uh, and just a little personal story, I've, I've been to the Chimneys before. Um, I was in Christian Service Brigade when I was a teenager, uh, and the Chimneys was actually my first real camping trip. That door just blew right open. Um, uh, <laughs> um, I can honestly say I've never had that happen before when I'm preaching. Um, so uh, the chimneys I've been there before is my very first real camping trip. I've been camping before, you know, in RVs, 
tents. But this is this is the first place I'd been when you're wearing a backpack, you're hiking in, you don't have tents. I'm this little 12-year-old boy. It's 20 degrees outside that night, and I'm in a Michael Jordan sleeping bag. Now let me tell you, Michael Jordan's sleeping bag doesn't do anything for you when it's 20 degrees outside. What's worse is I didn't have boots either. I, I, was, I was a stupid 12-year-old kid. I didn't know anything. I had Nike tennis shoes, guys. It's 20 degrees outside. Michael Jordan's sleeping bag. I'm freezing all night. The next morning, we are rock climbing and rappelling down a 40-foot cliff on the, at the top of this ridge. And our, our leader, Coit, who's, who's still our leader there, he, uh, he was telling us, okay, you've got you to gotta let rope out, and you've got to make sure you're walking down with the rope, and you'll, you'll be fine. So it gets to be my turn. And I'm sitting there, and I'm letting rope out, and I'm letting more rope out, and I'm letting more rope out, but I forget a major, major point. I'm not walking down with the rope. So here I am, 12 years old. I'm at the top of a 40-foot cliff. I'm now upside down on the top of this mountain with my legs tangled up in the rope. And the first thing Coit says to me, he says, David, don't look down. Of course, what do I do? I look down. I'm, I'm panicking. Then he says, don't move. And I'm sitting here thinking, I'm tangled up in this rope. Where am I going to go? So now they call whenever somebody ends up upside down on the top of a mountain, the David Taylor Jr. Award. And we hope that in three weeks, none of the guys get that award. Um, but I'm teaching these guys on Wednesday nights a class uh, called Students Reaching Students. It's an activity patch. The, the Boy Scouts, they've got merit badges. We've got activity patches. Uh, but it's a class called Students Reaching Students, and it's about evangelism and, and how, to, how to talk to others about Christ. And as, as I've been teaching this class, it hit me. Many people don't know how to evangelize. Many people don't know what to do. And I, I don't think it's because most Christians don't want to. I don't think it's because they don't want to. I think it's because we've made things too complicated. We've made things too difficult. Let me, let me read a story to kind of illustrate this point. Daryl Robinson used to be the pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas, and he told his congregation that he could not reach the masses for Christ on his own. Instead, it would take all church members' involvement. So he challenged particularly his leadership, including the Sunday school director, the women's ministry director, and others to participate in a witnessing seminar. Well, the women's director, she came to, to Pastor Robinson. She said, Pastor, I'll, I'll come to the lay evangelism course. I'll, I'll take the school. I will teach our women how to witness. But you must know this. I myself, I, I can't witness. I, I've tried it. I've, I really have. But I've failed. I can't do it. But I will learn, and I'll teach others how to do it. And so after four nights of training, this woman's team and all the others, they went out into their community to, to witness out in their community now, she didn't get an opportunity to witness that night, but she, she had a burden placed on her heart for her hairdresser. And so at her next appointment, she sat in the chair and she was flipping through a little Bible track, just, just reading it as, as she was getting her hair worked on. And the hairdresser asked her, she said, what, what are you reading there? And she said, oh, it's just, a, it's just a little booklet I have about Jesus. May I share it with you? All right, this is going good. She's, she's, she's getting into it. She's, she's doing something. So they read through the booklet. And the hairdresser, she's genuinely interested in what's being said, and she expresses a desire to be saved. And how do you think this woman's ministry director responded? She freaks 
out. She freaks out. She actually leaves the salon, goes back to her church, rushed into the pastor's office and tears said, Pastor Robinson, Pastor Robinson, I need you to come with me right now. I need you to come with right now. I've got someone who wants to get saved and I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. So Pastor Robinson tells her that she, he would go with her, but only if she went to. And so they went and took another man from the church and they visited the hairdresser and her husband and the pastor spoke to them and within 30 minutes, both of them had gotten saved. But then the new believer said something to this women's director that changed her life. She said, you have invited me to church. You have invited me to Sunday school. You've asked me to come hear your preacher preach. But you've never told me about Jesus. Why? And that night, the women's director made a commitment to Christ that she would tell others about him. And she eventually would lead the hairdresser's son, a neighbor, and her own father to Christ. And she would continue to share Christ faithfully. But she later noted three reasons why she failed to witness. First, she didn't know that God expected every Christian to witness. She thought that was just for specialists, you know, calling the, call the Navy SEALs. She thought she didn't have a valid testimony. It, was, it wasn't sensational. You know, she wasn't a former drug addict. She hadn't been to prison. She hadn't done something outrageous. She just believed in Christ, and she thought that nobody would be interested. And finally, she just simply didn't know how. She didn't know how. She needed someone to teach her. Do you ever feel like that woman? Do you ever feel like you don't know how to witness, or you need some sort of special training, or you need to be a preacher, or you need to have gone to Bible school? If you don't, you're not alone. You're not alone. That's not just you that feels that way. But you know, it's actually much worse than that. It's worse than that. According to the Barna Group, a research poll taken last year, this is just about the millennials, 47%, 47% of the millennial generation, they don't only not evangelize, they think that if somebody is a member of another religion, it is morally wrong to evangelize that person. Can you believe that? You can't share your beliefs with someone of a different faith? But church, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say, hey, you can only share the gospel with somebody if they're an atheist. It says share with every creature, everybody. You see, church, we live in a time when truth, that's out the door. There is no such thing as black and white truth anymore. We live in a culture where everything is all about how someone feels. In fact, this year in 2020, in a survey taken by Lifeway Research and Ligonier Ministries, 54% of American adults So over half of American adults believe that religion is not about objective truth. It's merely personal opinion. What is even scarier than that number is this. Here in 2020, 42% of American evangelicals, people who are supposed to be believers, you and me, we're evangelicals, 42% feel that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Judaism and Islam. 42% of evangelicals, Judaism and Islam is okay with God. Even though Judaism rejects Jesus Christ, Islam rejects Jesus Christ, but that's okay. God accepts it. We live in a world that has no tolerance for objective, absolute truth. If it's right for you, then it must be okay. That's what they teach now. That's how in the last decade we've had gay marriage accepted in this country. That's how we have people saying that little kids as young as eight years old can say, I'm a boy, but I'm really a girl, or I'm a girl and I'm really a boy, and that's okay. But you know what's crazy is the American church, we sit by and watch this happen, don't evangelize, and then we ask ourselves, what's going on? Why is our country the way it is? How did we get here? How do these people not see what they are doing? Church, how are they supposed to see what they are doing? 
How are they to know? Who is telling them that they're wrong? It's not the world. The government's not going to tell them they're wrong. Satan's definitely not going to tell them they're wrong. Who is telling them they're wrong? Who is preaching the gospel? Who is saying, I'll go, I'll do it? You know, about a month ago, I stood behind this pulpit and I preached a message about the harvest being ripe and going out in the harvest. And that is definitely true. But I think we need to know what we're up against. And I think the numbers that I've gone over this morning should be sobering for us. But here is the truth. We don't evangelize. As a church, an American church as a whole, we don't evangelize. And I think the reason is we overcomplicate the truth. We overcomplicate the truth. Here's what I mean. Here's some things that people call evangelism, but it's not really evangelism. But we think it is. Evangelism is not inviting somebody to church. Evangelism is not a class. Evangelism is not a church-wide training program. Evangelism is not bringing somebody to a concert or a youth event. Evangelism is not paying for the car behind you at the drive-thru window. Evangelism is not sending somebody an encouraging note. Evangelism is not even sharing your own personal story. Now, all of those are great things. All of those are things we can and absolutely should be doing as part of ministry, and they can lead to evangelism, but they're not evangelism in of themselves. You see, we complicate things. We think it has to be some sort of intricate training program or church-wide initiative that has to be done in a certain way with a certain script at a certain place, a certain time. And then we end up doing nothing at all. Here's what evangelism is. Evangelism is this. Evangelism is just a Christian talking to a non-Christian about Jesus Christ. That's all it is. Romans 10.9 says this, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. That's the gospel. That's it. In its purest and simplest form, that's the gospel. No gimmicks, no tricks, no big program or initiative. It's that simple. It's that simple. But Paul writes a little more for us as Christians uh, to understand this concept of evangelism. If we continue Romans 10, uh, starting in verse 10. It says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then, as Paul continues, will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the words of Christ. How will they believe if they have not heard And how will they hear if nobody ever tells them? In other words, church, how will they hear the gospel if the people of God do not follow that one simple command in Matthew that we read this morning, the command that we have to go? I'm not saying we have to be missionaries and go to foreign lands. That's definitely a good thing if if that's what God's... Man, I can't talk this morning. If that's what God is calling you to do, but we need to go right here, right now. I'm saying we need to go to our neighbors. We need to go to our coworkers. We need to go to our friends. Some of us need to go to our families. We need to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We overcomplicate things by thinking, like I said, there has to be some sort of formula or program. 
But all we need is what the Word of God says. That's it. We need them to know that, guess what? You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Everyone's a sinner. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's nobody left out in that. There's nobody left out. All have sinned. There's only one person in the history of humankind that has never sinned, and that was Jesus Christ. He was perfect, blameless, something that someone who is not also truly God as Jesus is has no hope of accomplishing. But it's not just enough for a person to know that they're a sinner. They need to know what that means for them. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The world needs to know that if you do not believe in Christ and Christ alone, not Buddha, not Allah, not the universe, not the United States government, not themselves, Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, He's the only way to heaven. 42% of evangelicals are absolutely dead wrong on that point. Because what does Paul tell us in Romans chapter 5? Verses 6 through 8, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might even dare to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us, church. That's the gospel. Christ came at the right time for this sinful race who literally turned their backs on God, outright rejected Him. That same God came down to this wretched earth and lived among us as John chapter 1 tells us. He came to us to live just to be rejected, just to be mocked, scorned, killed. And He did all of that as we read earlier so that He would then be raised from the dead that we might have salvation from our eternal destiny of torment in hell. Church, if that doesn't get you fired up this morning, nothing will. If it does not make you want to shout amen, nothing will that God loves you and me so much that He died for us. The Bible says, Greater love has no man than one who lays down his life for his friends. Well, guess what, guys? Jesus Christ went above and beyond that because He laid down His life not for His friends. He laid down His life for His enemies. Because before we're saved, that's what we are. We are enemies of God. He laid down his own life for his enemies so that they could not only be saved, but they would become sons and daughters of God. You cannot get more love than that. It's this good news that the world rejects. It's it's what they want to mock. It's unbelievable. They are blind, so we must tell them the truth, the gospel. It's not complicated, guys. It's not complicated. Many Christians, they struggle with fears and doubts about their salvation, and that actually holds them back from evangelizing because they're not sure themselves. The Bible has something to say about that too. First, you can't lose your salvation. Romans eight thirty-eight and 39, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that's not covered in these verses. The devil can't make you lose your salvation. The world can't make you lose it. You yourself can't make you lose it. Nothing in creation can make you lose your salvation because you know what? Salvation has nothing to do with anything but God Himself. If you are truly saved this morning, you are always saved. You are a child of God and don't forget it. Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. So you know how you know you're saved? You believe in Jesus. That's how you know you're saved. 
If you believe this morning you are saved, it doesn't, ma- it doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. You will. I definitely will. We all will. But it means you shouldn't live in fear and you should go boldly proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what evangelism is, church. That's exactly what evangelism is. That's what it means to witness. We boldly go and speak the name of Jesus Christ and what Jesus did for us to the lost. Like I said, it's no trick, no gimmick, no training program. Just proclaim the gospel. It's as simple as this. We are all sinners. That's the problem. The penalty for that sin is death, but not just any death. Eternal torment and punishment in hell. But an amazing thing happened. God's only Son came to this earth, lived among us a perfect life, and took our place on a cross 2,000 years ago, suffering shame and death of a criminal, even though He Himself did nothing wrong. He was tortured. He was beaten beyond human recognition and suffocated to death on a cross as every joint in his body was jarred out of socket when they dropped his cross six feet down into a hole just so it would stay upright. See, up there in sheer agony, he died for us. And three days later, three days later, he rose again that we might be saved. He sits at the right hand of the throne of the Father and all he asks, all he asks is that we believe in him. It's that simple. We have to believe in Him, confess Him as Lord, and guess what? We no longer have a death sentence in hell. We're pardoned. We're free. That's the gospel, church. It's that simple. The greatest story ever told is the greatest hope that we can ever have. And when we think about the fact that Christ did for us, it should cause us to fall on our knees, cry, holy, praise the name of Jesus, and then go do what He has commanded us to do. Jesus Christ made everything Everything on the line for us. He died for us. He was tortured for us. The least we can do is go tell people about it. What Jesus asks of us is nothing compared to what He did for us. It doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. You know, we've enjoyed two centuries of accepted Christianity in this country. But that's quickly going away. It's not as safe today to be a Christian as it once was. It's definitely not popular It's not popular to believe the Bible. Sure, most families in the United States have a Bible in their house. It's still the number one selling book of all time. But if you actually believe that Bible that's in your house, you're a bigot, you're a homophobe, you're a radical, you're a nutcase, something's wrong with you, you're closed-minded, you just believe a fantasy. And the list goes on and on and on. You know, other, other countries have had Christian persecution for years and it's now coming to the United States, but we should take courage. We should take courage because Jesus gave words of encouragement for this very thing in John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We're going to have trials. We're going to have tribulations. We're going to have persecution, but we are still to go. Again, remember what Jesus went through for us. In the 16th century, just a couple of decades after Luther and the Protestant Reformation, you know, I told you yesterday was Reformation Day, so I have to give a Reformation story. Um, England, they were still in the throes of Roman Catholicism. And in 1555, there were two men who were martyred for the Christian faith. Their names were Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. Nicholas Ridley, he was one of the finest minds in England. He was a scholar at Cambridge, no joke. Uh, he was the chaplain to Thomas Cramner, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury. He was, he was kind of an kind of important guy. 
In the 1540s, he was suspected of heresy against the Catholic Church because of his Protestant views. He was following what Luther had said, and he was called a heretic, or suspected at least of heresy because of it, but they couldn't nail him down on anything. He would later become the Bishop of London, and in London, he actually had stone altars removed from the churches, replaced with wooden communion tables so they could have communion, just like we're going to later today. That made... Uh, really big uproar amongst, amongst the Catholics. How are you going to take away the altars out of this church and bring in communion tables to worship Christ? And when Mary Tudor, better known as Bloody Mary, became the Queen of England, she had Ridley arrested and imprisoned in the Tower of London, where he was later joined by Hugh Latimer and Thomas Cramner. It was then that their heretical views of Protestantism were examined, but Ridley would not recant his views. Now, Hugh Latimer, on the other hand, he was actually a staunch Catholic. When the Reformation started happening, he he mocked and criticized the Reformers, saying that they were heretics. But after listening to a sermon of confession by a man named Thomas Bilney, he was converted to Protestant Christianity. And Latimer would now target the Catholic Church and their errors. And like Nicholas Ridley, he was imprisoned under Bloody Mary. Latimer and Ridley would both be tried and found guilty of their accused heresy by the Roman Catholic Church. And on October 16, 1555, they were led to be burned at the stake. When they saw each other, they embraced, and Hugh Latimer was said to have a cheerful look on his face as he knew he was getting ready to die for his Savior. And he said to Nicholas Ridley, Be of good heart, brother, for God will either assuage the fury of these flames or will give us the strength to stand in them. Then they were tied to the stakes and they were given a sermon against their accused error and given one more chance to recant and they refused. And as the flames were lit, Hugh Latimer says the following words to Nicholas Ridley, Be of good comfort, Mr. Ridley. Play the man. We shall this day light a candle as such by God's grace that England has never seen and a flame that will never be put out. When Ridley saw the flames coming toward him, he cried out, Into thy hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. Hugh Latimer, he would die quickly. The flames overcame him very quickly, but Nicholas Ridley wasn't so lucky. There were problems with the fire, and they kept having to relight it as he stood there tied to the stake, and he died an excruciating and agonizing death, praising God the entire time. But the point is that these two men were bold. They, were follow, they followed that command to go, and they did it no matter the cost. Now, church, we're not facing being burned at the stake today. We have no idea what that kind of persecution is like. We have freedom of speech, we have freedom of religion, and we have absolutely zero excuses not to share the gospel of Christ. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Church, Evangelism is simple. We're not asked to do much when you think about it. We're asked to do one simple thing. Confess Jesus as Lord and tell others about it. Tell others about it. We need to turn control of our life and control of our time over to the mission of Jesus Christ. To tell the world about all that He has done. If today you're thinking to yourself, we're going to sing in just a second. If you're thinking to yourself, I need to do better. And I know that's me too. I need to do better. You can get right with God today as we have our closing song. But we need to go, church. We need to go. It's time to share the gospel. Bye-bye.